as we continue worship through baptism. We open up the heavens. We want to see you. I love that song. So let's lower that screen. It's a joy this morning to share in baptism and have two brothers this morning, twin brothers, Carter and Kaysen Mulligan, and they are the sons of Chris and uh, Kayla Mulligan, and uh, on Christmas Eve, after one of our Christmas Eve services, these two guys came up to me and said, we want to ask Jesus into our heart. We talked and we prayed together there on Christmas Eve. That's pretty good Christmas Eve, isn't it, when you invite Jesus into your heart? And so now they come to be baptized to confess that before you, that faith in Jesus. Uh, if your family or friends of Carter's or Cason's, would you stand up in their honor, please? We're, we're, we're so glad you're here. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You've got family, friends, you may be seated. We're glad that you could be here today for this. First of all, this is Carter. And Carter, will you confess before your friends and your church family, Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. On your confession of faith in Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is Kaysen Mulligan. And Kaysen, will you confess Jesus is Lord? Jesus is Lord. On your confession of faith in Christ, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. 
Praise the Lord. Amen. Good morning. We want to welcome you here to First Baptist. Thank you for joining us on this rainy Sunday morning. Um, I wanted to uh, share a couple of things with you, but I need to tell you first that if you're a first-time guest, if you would complete the little uh, guest form in the pew rack there in front of you and turn that in when the offering plate passes, that will help us get to know you just a little bit, find out your name, and uh, get a connection from you, and you'll probably get an email from the pastor and maybe an email from somebody else, so you don't have to worry about us, you know, passing on you or anything. We're just really glad you're glad you're here. Uh, but I have a question I want to ask you this morning. Uh, can you tell me what nationwide event involved 2.5 million kids last year, had over 70,000 professions of faith, discovered over 155,000 prospects, and provided 15 hours of discipleship in a one-week period. Anybody know what that was? Mr. Todd, what do you think? Yes. Vacation Bible School, that's right. And here at First Baptist, we did our part. We had over 400 kids in Bible school. We had 14 professions of faith, people who, boys and girls who accepted Christ as Savior. And we discovered over 40 families who did not have a place that they worshiped regularly. So Bible school is coming up, and we're starting to work on that. And it takes a lot of volunteers. In your uh, worship folder today, there's a yellow form like this. If you would like to help us, you can complete that. Today, you have to be a member of First Baptist Church, high school age or older, to help in that. Um, and you can complete that and drop it in one of the black boxes. There's one by the library, and there's one by the Welcome Center. So if you do that for us today, we would appreciate it. So now let's worship that one true God. I like those easy crossword puzzles, too. You know, it's, it's, it's an easy question. Will you stand with us and let's sing together? Here we go.
God worthy of our praise and worship. This is another great one. Pick us off.
is greater, our God is stronger. God, you are higher than any other. Our God is healer, awesome in power, our God. Our God, sing it, church, let me hear you. Our God is greater. before you this morning just saying that you are our God and we come before you surrendering all that we are to all that you are all that we have to all that you want us to be riches of this world will fade the treasures of our God remain here I am Empty myself to owe this world nothing and find everything in you. The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I am to
before you this morning, just surrendering all that we have to you. Lord, we know that in your hands, all things will prosper. That you have designs to bless us, Lord, and not to harm us, Lord. And so, Lord, for that reason, we surrender all that we are to you. Trusting that you know infinitely more than we do. Lord, I pray that this morning as our worship has gone on, that it has indeed blessed your heart, Lord, and put a smile on your face. Lord, that's our, our hearts and our goals is to, to bless you and honor you and sing glory to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Good morning. Good to worship today. Good to see each of you here. I'm sharing a series of sermons from the last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation. And I'm sharing the seven themes from the book of Revelation. We're not going to get lost in all the details. A lot of the details of the book we don't understand. Easy to get bogged down and just not know what it means. But the big themes are clear in the book of Revelation. And so I'm sharing the big overall themes, the message of the book, because it's such an encouraging message for Christians. We saw in chapters 1 through 3, let me just review for a moment, this is our third week in this book. If you're new with us, we're so glad you're here today. Chapters 1 through 3 is the foundational vision. The theme of that vision is Jesus is alive and walking among his churches. Jesus died and rose again, and he's alive, and he's present here on earth especially in his church. And so if you want to know Jesus, you need to be in his church. And he knows and cares what's going on in churches. He knows about your life. What we do in church is important because Jesus walks among his churches. Then last week, chapters 4 and 5, we looked above the waterline at what was going on in heaven. And God gave John a vision of heaven. And the theme there is God is on his throne and Jesus is in control of history. And so God is sovereign, he's always on his throne, and Jesus is the one who is able to guide our world to God's appointed destiny. We can be encouraged by that. Today we come to the big middle section of the book. It spans from chapters 6 to 18, and we're going to spend three weeks on this big section in the middle. It's the toughest section to understand, but we're going to get three clear themes throughout this section. This is sort of a trilogy of sermons. Hope you'll come every week because they sort of fit together. And today, what we're going to learn from these chapters is the theme that evil is strong and will temporarily conquer God's people. Now here's sort of a turn in our story. You know, in every story, English people will tell you this, there's a theme and characters, and then there is a conflict, and then a climax and a resolution. You know that's true in every movie that you watch, every book that you read, every epic. It's true in Toy Story, it's true in Shrek, it's true in Star Wars, it's true in uh, uh, the super um, Marvel comic movies, it's true in Guardians of the Galaxy, it, it's true in every story. There's a theme, and then there's, a, there's the characters introduced, and then there's a conflict. And they don't just move happily. 
Superman hits his kryptonite, doesn't he? Uh, there, there's, a, there's a problem there. Well, that's where we are today. If you want it in Star Wars terminology, we've seen the hope arises. That was the original of the three Star Wars movie. Now, the second movie is The Empire Strikes Back. That's where we are today. The Empire Strikes Back. There's evil. In fact, I, w I just share with you, this, what I've just shared with you was a big part in how the famous Christian of 20th century C.S. Lewis became a Christian. J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote the Lord of the Rings trilogy, in a talk with Lewis in 1931, Lewis thought it was all myths. It's just all a myth. This thing of Christianity is just a myth. And, and Tolkien convinced him that this plot line that is in every myth is an echo of the one true myth. That this story, the story of the Bible, the story that we'll look at today is the true myth. And why every plot, why do we yearn for, why do we see conflict, why do we yearn for a climax and a resolution in every movie you watch? Because it is all an echo of this story of God who created a good world. They killed Jesus. He rose from the dead and will have victory. And we're going to see here, it plays out again that way in the last days. There's always that kind of of plot line and it comes from the one true story that God has written so I've been sharing with you I have a low-tech visual aid and that the key word in the book of Revelation is Nike which is the Greek word for victory or conquer or overcome or overpower and so what I've been doing is we get to that key word 17 times in this book, and when I read a verse that it's in, then I raise this Nike athletic shoe up, and you say, Nike, in a strong uh, voice. But today, here's the twist in the story. We're still going to see the word Nike, but the two times today that I'll read the word Nike, it's used of the enemy. It is used of the forces of evil who temporarily conquer God's people and so I'm still gonna raise the shoe we're still gonna say Nike a couple of times but with less enthusiasm today it's just sort of Nike today you get it because this is the this is the conflict this is the turn in the story this is when the Empire strikes back now the the point of this that I'm sharing with you today is for three audiences as I've shared all the the time of Revelation is First of all, this book was written to a first century Christians who were under persecution of the Roman Empire and God is saying to them through this book, the forces of Rome are going to temporarily conquer you. Get ready for that. It applies to all believers and so the message today is there will be times in our life when we suffer defeat and we are, we are attacked by evil. This message plays out well if you're in North Korea or in Iraq today. That's exactly what they're experiencing. It's going to come even more in the end times when the Antichrist arises and there is temporarily victory of the Antichrist over God's people and we've got to be ready for opposition in any of those occasions that it arises for us and be strong and endure. That's the message, okay? So let's look at it together, this theme. And we begin in Revelation chapter 12 
which tells us the origin of this whole struggle and where something of where the forces of evil come from. And it begins in Revelation 12, 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So the first character in our drama today is a pregnant woman. She represents Israel, who brings forth the Messiah, who delivers Jesus to us. This pregnant woman is Israel. The second character is a red dragon. It tells us clearly that this red dragon is Satan. He's the devil. Verse 3, then another sign appeared in heaven, and in enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads and its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth so we don't know all the origin of Satan apparently he was an angel he's a created being a spiritual being created by God who rebelled who sinned who turned against God some think that this he swept a third of the stars out of the sky with his tail refers to the fact that Perhaps a third of the angels became demons and followed him. We don't know that for sure. It's very cloudy. It's possible. But in somehow before, before time, this force of evil rebelled against God, and it's the source of this battle that we're in now. And so it says in verse 4, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. So the devil wants to destroy Jesus the moment he's born. Because he recognizes who Jesus is. Uh, this is what happened when King Herod tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem and to eradicate the Messiah. Uh, below the waterline, here's Herod, a person acting to prevent a competitor. But above the waterline, in heaven, it is, in the heavens, it is this red dragon. It is Satan who wants to devour the child the moment he's born, you see? Well, it says in verse 5, she gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. That's from Psalm 2. It's a phrase that refers to Jesus. He's going to rule the nations. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. And so we swept all the way from the birth to the ascension of Jesus right there in that one phrase. So Mary delivered Jesus. God protected his son. He accomplished his work on earth, his death and resurrection, and he ascended into heaven. Then it says in verse 7, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven, and the great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. So, Above the waterline, at the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, this is heavenly warfare going on. This was the big conflict, the defeat of Satan. And we just don't understand. We, we, do, we don't have any glimpses into this much. Here's just one glimpse. But there's war between Michael and his angels. There's war between good and evil. And something changed at the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. You remember if you read the book of Job... Satan has some access to the throne room of God and he's tempting Job and accusing him and, and it sounds strange to us, but now he has been hurled to earth. He doesn't have that access apparently anymore after the, the first coming of Jesus. There has been a, a battle and Jesus defeated him and he's been hurled down to the earth and uh, something has changed. The problem is now he's hurled down to earth and that's where we live, right? So look at verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. 
Here's the persecution of Israel and of the Jewish people throughout the ages, summed up in this verse. But it says in verse 16, But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon spewed out of his mouth. How did the earth help the woman and protect her? The Jewish people were dispersed, the diaspora, and they were scattered. New York City and all Western Europe and Eastern Europe and all of these places have large Jewish populations, and the earth swallowed up the Jewish people to protect them from the dragon, and the, the scattering of the Jewish people enabled them to survive the terrible persecution of the dragon. Now here's the last verse, verse 17, or last verse in this chapter. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. Well, that's why you and I have so much trouble right there, isn't it? Because this frustrated dragon who's been frustrated and could not devour Jesus and could not destroy the chosen people of Israel, he's now been hurled to the earth, and that's where we live, and so he's gone to make war against the rest of the offspring of Israel. We are the spiritual offspring of Israel. Jesus said, you're children of Abraham. And he's gone to wage war against us because now he's on the earth. That's where we are. That's who he's got left to take out his wrath upon because of his anger against God. That explains some things, doesn't it? Why you battle temptation, why you have persecution in our world. This is the behind the scenes, the origin of that evil. Well, let's look at the continuing in chapter 13, verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea, and it had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. So the dragon calls forth a beast. And it says in verse 4 that people worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? In verse 7, it was given power to wage war against God's holy people. Here's where we got to do the shoe thing. You ready? And to Nike. Nike them, to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. What does that mean? This beast represents political power in service of evil. A political figure or a political government that is brought about by the devil and is used for his purposes against God's people. So the first application or the first audience for this truth that I've just shared was to the original readers in first century Rome. You see, in this day, in the Roman Empire, there was Caesar worship. That is to unify all these diverse peoples under the government of the Roman Empire. They declared Caesar as Lord, and you had to show your loyalty once a year by going to the royal temple, burn a pinch of incense, kneel, and say, Caesar is Lord. The rest of the year, you can worship whatever your native God is. They don't care, but this is that unifying requirement of loyalty, and everybody did it, except Christians, whose word has said to them from God, 
There's only one Lord, and his name is Jesus. And their confession was Jesus is Lord, and they would not say the words Caesar is Lord. And for that, the wrath of the beast was upon them, and they were persecuted and conquered and killed. Second audience for these verses is for Christians of all ages. What happened then is going to happen throughout Christian history. And this is a word for people who now, who are suffering because of political power. Kim Jong-un is a beast that has arisen from the sea in North Korea at the power of the dragon. And the world watch list of the most persecuted places in the world, North Korea is number one, the hardest place, they say, to be a Christian in the world today. Ahead of the Muslim countries, ahead of, of others, is North Korea. The stories that we're hearing coming out of North Korea is that there are Christians there from those few escape, we hear, but it is so hard. We heard, I read just the other day a story of how Christians in North Korea don't tell their children that they're Christians because the government will in school question those children. If they find out they're, they're, they're Christians, then their family will disappear. One girl said they gave us a prize. They held up a Bible in school said, we'll give you a prize. If you have one of these books, bring it to school tomorrow. She thought it was a good thing. She found a Bible in her home, brought it to school for her prize. She got home. Her family was gone. She never saw them again. That's what's going on in North Korea today. So parents don't tell their children. A pastor who was uh, escaped, he said, my parents were Christians, but I didn't know it, didn't realize it until I was grown. I knew they read a secret book every night, but they wouldn't tell me what it was. I knew they helped people, they were different from others, and I didn't know why. I understood when I was grown, they were Christians, but they would not tell me for fear of persecution. That's what's going on in North Korea right now. This applies to them. Do you see how reading this chapter would help them to understand what's going on? And the third and final audience for these verses is, in the last days, the ultimate fulfillment is there will be a beast, an antichrist, a man of lawlessness, he's called by other words in scripture, and he'll be the, the epitome of all this, the worst of all this, and that will be on the last days, the final fulfillment of this same kind of political power in the service of evil. There is a second beast in this chapter, verse 11, then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. So it looks like a lamb, but speaks like a dragon. This is religious power in service of evil. Political power in service of evil, the first beast. Religious power in service of evil, the second beast. This is the church or religion that has been compromised, that no longer follows the word of God, that is false and leads people astray. In the first century, it was the royal priesthood who enforced that law and made the people do. In, in other times throughout history, it was the church in Germany that was complicit with Hitler, that beast in World War II. And it will be in the last times the church that has compromised its values and its standards, and it is so corrupt that it is in service of evil. It will not be the true religion. And it says in verse 16, uh, well, verse, verse 12, they'll read that, it exercised the authority of the first beast on its behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast. And then in verse 16, it forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their forehead so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. I don't know what all of that means, but in some way, this beast will enforce through economic regulation and sanction. That will be the, the penalty 
we already are seeing even in our culture today where economic reprisal is against those who hold to some of their values. There are Christian bakers and florists who are suffering this very thing now. There are municipalities who have enacted bathroom laws and conventions will not come to their city or even to their state but unless they have a different policy on gender. And can you just see and imagine how that kind of thing could work to the personal level as well? Religious power and political power in service of evil. Share one more scene on this theme of this temporary victory of evil. Chapter 11, back up to chapter 11. It's before chapter 13, but, but chronologically we'll see it's after it. God appoints two witnesses to preach. 11.3, I will appoint my two witnesses and they will prophesy. Uh, this could be all Christians throughout the ages. But God, Jesus sent them out two by two, but I really believe they'll specifically be two individuals in the last day that are the final fulfillment of this that God will raise up. It says in verse 6, they'll have power to shut up the heavens so it will not rain during the time they're prophesying. They have power to turn the waters into blood, to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. Sounds like Elijah, sounds like Moses. Prophets like Moses and Elijah with power preaching the truth even in the midst of all the lies. What's going to happen to them? we got to do the shoe thing one more time. Verse 7, now when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower, that's the same word translated conquer here, overpower, and kill them. And verse 10 says, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two prophets who had tormented those who lived on the earth are dead. Sort of the anti-Christmas, you know, got anti-Christ, here's anti-Christmas. Hey, it's a holiday, there these Prophets who bothered us are dead. Let's, have, let's send gifts in honor of it. What, what do we learn from this? How, what do we apply for our lives? Let me suggest three applications to you. Number one, evil is strong. Don't take it lightly. The message here is that there are forces of evil in our world and they are strong and don't take it lightly. And the danger of some of us is we're overconfident in our ability and we underestimate evil and we play with temptation and we flirt with danger and we're not diligent in our relationship to God and to his word and we are on thin ice because we do not realize how strong the forces of evil are. Don't take it lightly. Be strong. 1 Corinthians 12, 10 says, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you do not fall. That's the first application. Evil strong, don't take it lightly. Stay close to the Lord. Number two, we're in a war. Expect to get shot at. That's not good grammar, that sentence, I know. You, you English people rework it for me, okay? But you know what? Expect to get shot at, okay? Sometimes we act like, oh, why am I having all this trouble? God must not love me. Hey, we're in a war. When you're in a war, there's somebody after you, right? So just acknowledge that. We're, we're going to get shot at sometimes. We're going to have some trouble, and we're going to lose some battles. We're not going to lose the war, but we're going to lose some battles. You see it here in these verses? It's going to be true. And so don't be discouraged. Take the long-term view. But understand that opposition. Number three, 
There are only two sides in the battle, and you must choose a side. There are only two sides in the battle. And you can choose, but you must choose. Now, as long as things are going well, you can be ambivalent. You can ride the fence. That's why a lot of people in America, that's where we are. We're not, we're not against God. We're not really for God. We just, you know. But in North Korea, you can't ride the fence. You're either going to deny him or confess him. In Iraq and in parts of India today, you don't ride the fence. When things get tough, we won't ride the fence. It'll, it'll prove us in one direction or another. I remember years ago in Kentucky, University of Louisville was playing the University of Kentucky in a basketball game, two basketball powerhouses. The governor of Kentucky went to the game, didn't want to offend either side. They were both part of his state. And so he had a special suit made, cardinal red on one leg of the pants and one half of the jacket, Kentucky blue mist on the other half. And he wore that suit to the game and he sat on one side the first half and sat on the other side the first half to be, to be fair to everybody. You know what happened? They all booed him. Both sides booed him. He, he didn't win. He lost by that trying to be all things to all people. You can't be all things to all people. At school, you're not going to please in every group. In your work, you can't be all things to all people. You're going to have to take a, choose a side. And at some point, it becomes very necessary. Where are you in that battle? Well, I can't leave it here. We, we got to go back to our key verse and do it right one more time, okay? Revelation 17, 14. Let's leave with the long-term view. Some of you might not come back next week. You're, you're traveling or whatever. I don't want you to leave with this. I want you to leave with the, with the end of the story. So we're going to jump ahead and see it one time, okay? Here we go. They will wage war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will triumph over them because He's Lord of lords and King of kings, and with Him will be His called and chosen and faithful followers. That's the end the story, the resolution of the conflict, and you hang on, you be faithful, you stay close to the Lord, you don't underestimate evil, you expect opposition, because that's the end of the story. Would you stand together with me? We're going to have a time of commitment. Where are you in this, this battle, this war? Maybe you are sort of been beat down, and you need to be encouraged today to understand it's not abnormal. It's a normal part of this spiritual warfare. Maybe today you've been sort of ambivalent. You, you need to stake out a territory on one side or the other. Maybe today you would say, I will confess Jesus is Lord. Whatever the consequences, that may not be an easy confession at some point in the lives of some people here. But it's the best confession. It's the true confession. Would you say, no matter the cost that that will bring, count the cost. I take my stand with the one who's King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Regardless of the price, I stand with Jesus. I will confess in the waters of baptism as was done today. If so, I'm going to invite you to walk down one of these aisles and meet me here at the front. If you need a church home, you need to be in a church. Don't try to do this alone. That's not a good 
battle to wage. You need to be in the church. If you want a church home, we'd welcome you. You come forward, join our church. Need somebody to pray with you about some things going on in your life. Somebody would be glad to do that. Let's sing together. The riches of this world will fade. The treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to all this world and find everything in you. Riches of this world will fade. Treasures of our God remain. Here I empty myself to all this world, nothing, and find everything in you. Take my life a sacrifice. In you alone I'm satisfied. Here I empty myself to all this world. Nothing and find everything in you. Oh. Thank you. Would you be seated, please, for a moment more? We're going to give our offerings now in worship. If you're a guest with us and you have a, a guest card, we invite you just to place that there and let that be your offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given to us, Lord. We thank you for all you've done. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your security that you've given us, uh, the hope against the persecutions that we'll have. Lord, as we come to this time in the service, Lord, we give back a small portion of what you've given to us. I pray, Lord, that you'll, that you'll use this to further your kingdom. In Christ Jesus' name, amen. There's revival and it's spreading like a wildfire in my heart. Sunday morning, hallelujah, and it's lasting all week long. Can you hear it? Can you feel it? 
Today, uh, at uh, 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 4 o'clock to 5.30, we're going to be doing auditions for our variety skit, our var variety show. That's for students. That's from students from, uh, you know, middle school all the way up through college. Uh, and so uh, come today at 4 o'clock with your auditions. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, well, I haven't got anything, or I haven't, I've got something in mind, but I'm not ready to do it. Come anyway. Today is the day to brainstorm and get some ideas about what we're going to do. So come today at 4 o'clock uh, and let's, let's put this, uh, this variety show together. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. One other final reminder about summer trip deposits are due today for students. And we'd love to invite you to come and be a part of a connection group. If you're unsure of which one you would go to, as you exit the doors, head down to your left to the welcome desk. And they've got a, a list of classes that you could participate in. And and a community that you could be a part of. And so we, we want to invite everybody to, to stay and be a part of a connection group. Uh, if you're a first-time guest with us, we also would love for you to exit, go down to that welcome desk to your left, and, and our pastor's got a, a small gift for all first-time guests. Let's close in prayer.
God, we thank you that, that amidst the turmoil that we can focus on you and we can put our faith in you and we can have trust in you. And despite the, the present circumstances around us, we know that you're in control of all things. God, we thank you for your love and for your grace and your goodness in our lives. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. I've got a load that's constantly in my soul. I've got a sweet salvation and it's beautiful. I've got a heart overflowing. I've been